0: Thank <laughs> you. Welcome, everybody, to Random Encounter, the RPG Fan Podcast. I'm your host and resident uh, getting my ass kicked person at Dark Souls, Robert Styman, Pale Robbie on the boards. Uh, Joining me is a fellow Dark Souls player who just killed three hedgehogs.
1: Uh, (laughs) I'm Steven, Talos on the boards.
0: All right. Uh, We have the guy who is also playing Dark Souls and our resident newsman.
2: Uh, This is Zach, and I'm super flat on the boards.
0: We have John McCarroll, and what,
3: what's your title now, sir? I'm still executive editor for now.
0: <laughs> for, for now. now. <laughs> He's going to become Dark Lord of the Sith at some point. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> he could, he could. And back as always, the wonderful and lovely...
4: Kimberly Wallace, managing editor, K-Star on the boards.
1: Awesome, awesome. So I was we... kind of hoping John would say something like, <laughs> I promise to set aside these emergency powers once the crisis is abetted. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Execute Order 66, and <laughs> suddenly the whole podcast crew is just killed off. <laughs> it could happen. He just replaces John talking to John talking to John on the podcast. We could all see it happening. Uh, so we're, we are obviously all deep playing Dark Souls right now, but I don't think we're quite at a Wait, 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 what? We're all deep playing Dark Souls. What?
3: we're deep deep. yeah so 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 two of us not is all of us
0: i'm sorry john you have a copy you could play it
3: you're right and i'm playing fun games instead
1: (laughs) uh so we're gonna have really what's that like
0: yeah i know i forget what that's like i'm kind of looking forward to batman so i can play something that makes me feel good about myself We're going to obviously talk about a lot of dark souls but we want to wait until we've all like gotten a little bit uh, further through it. So the next podcast will be the Dark Souls podcast. We're going to have a couple people on. I'm very interested to see what Kyle's take is on the game. I think he is making it a point to play the hell out of it right now. And uh you know, I'll be reviewing the game and my review is going to take some time because really we don't know how big this game is. I'm about 20 hours in and I have no clue where I'm at. Uh, so far, just a real brief snippet on it. I think it's good. I'm really enjoying it. There are points where the difficulty spikes quite a bit, and those points get really annoying, so, but at the same time, this is probably one of the most ambitious games I've seen. so
1: it's also a complete and utter blast. Yep, so my, we're my, definitely... my, my joke of no fun of not being fun aside, I think it's but yeah, it's awesome.
0: It's a great game. It's a great game. It's just, I, I do feel some little things here and there that I want to talk about in great detail, most notably Blight Town and the way the frame rate is a complete mess in that area. But uh, we're going to save all that for another podcast. So just stay tuned. We will definitely be talking about Dark Souls. Uh, but what we really want to talk about right now is a game that John went to go check out. And uh, this is the game made by Kurt Schilling where you don't have a baseball bat.
1: Everybody should be buying this game just to support Kurt Schilling because he's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I want to be
3: talking about how chocobos came to Final Fantasy XIV. Oh God, <sighs>
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> boy, too oh, soon, too soon. Oh,
3: yeah. All right, <laughs> no. In actuality, I want to talk about a game that that I was incredibly impressed with, which is uh, Kingdoms of Amalur: Reckoning. Which, if you haven't read my studio visit and you're listening to this podcast, <laughs> I'm very disappointed in you. I'm sorry, um, especially Rob. <laughs> Dude, you don't listen to the podcast when you're not on, jerk.
4: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he openly admits it.
3: Thank you. I don't even listen to it when I am on it. I know what happens.
4: Oh.
1: Yeah, I mean, truth be told, I I listen like to most of it if I'm not on it, but like I te- I never listen if I was on it, like unless there was a particular part that I wanted to hear.
0: Oh boy! Well, it's so good to know that we're only doing this for the fans. Oh wait a minute. <laughs>
3: Go ahead. Go ahead. So um, Kings of Miller Reckoning is uh, it's being developed by Big Huge Games in collaboration with 38 Studios, 38 Studios being Kurt Schilling's company. Um, There is a whole lot of star power behind this. You know, you've got uh, Bob Salvatore and uh, Ken Rolston and uh, that guy who made Spawn, Todd McFarlane. Oh, Jesus,
1: he made Spawn and he made
3: Venom awesome. Um, no, honestly, it, it's very clear that uh, that while Todd is Todd was not art lead on this game, he he is in kind of a management view in in 38 Studios. Is um, some of his influences are are obvious, but a lot of when when I talked to uh, I talked to the art lead on the game, and he was like, you know what, we're we're not making Todd's game, but Todd's knowledge in animation and in the creation of toys actually that was one of the things they mentioned was uh I'm a big hockey fan and I, w- I was talking to him about the hockey figures and he said you know what Todd was able to take and say okay look this is how we make a 3D toy why don't why why isn't it made this way for 3D models and they were able to make more fluid animation with kind of Todd's knowledge on how toys are made it was really interesting because a lot of the times you see these developers and they've only ever worked in video games. And so getting that outside knowledge, I think, helped them significantly. Mm-hmm.
1: That is actually really interesting. That's, cause I, didn't, I thought he was like the art, art lead on the game. But no, I guess...
3: So, so it, much like how, how uh, R.A. Salvatore is, uh, he kind of created the backstory of the world. He's not the, the lead story design on the game you know the these are the guys that that are just kind of guiding the development of the game but you know and and also 38 studios is working on an MMORPG based in this world so it's not as if you know work is just being done on reckoning there's going to be an Amalur MMO as well so it's 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 interesting how things are are panning out
5: mm-hmm.
3: so so now this whole
0: series started out as an iPhone game correct
3: I have no idea what you're talking
0: about. Wasn't there a Kingdoms of Amalore like iPhone game, and then they said they were going to do a main game, and then they were going to do an MMO? Or am I just getting my signals completely crossed?
3: I have no idea what you're talking I don't think about. Think so, Rob?
1: Really? Uh, the vibe I got was Google. they created the world and all the history, and then they said, okay, the games can be set within this world with these histories. Where would you like to set them? Okay, where's my Google? Okay, keep Wait, talking. No,
4: there is something under Gamespot on iPhone for uh-huh. Amalur.
1: Well, I think but, they said that they're gonna make like an iPhone game before like the main game comes out, like as one of those promo games.
4: Oh wait, no, this is for a hero's guide to it. Never mind. Damn you, Roger. Okay, well maybe I'm just you know
3: drunk it, Yeah, I, I I seriously don't don't recall any sort of no, iPhone. No, the only
4: thing I heard is the MMO being tied to it, but huh. nothing previously.
3: Huh, yeah, maybe. they announced the MMO first.
4: Which okay. is interesting. I remember that. So, so they, they worked on the MMO first, or are well, they
3: yeah. So so there are two different you know there's there's 38 studios and there's big huge games. There's a 38 studios development house in Rhode Island. They're the guys who are working on the MMO, and then Big Huge Games in Baltimore is working on Reckoning, the single player game. Uh-huh. Um, and actually, you know, it, it's very interesting. Big Huge Games is uh, for, for anyone who doesn't know, they made uh, uh, Rise of Nations. Rise of Legends, that. and then they made Catan for uh, Xbox Live Arcade. And that's, you know, they they make strategy games. And so it was really interesting for me to get my hands on this really hardcore action RPG from this studio that was going to be shuttered because THQ didn't want them anymore. And they've turned around and they made what, based on, you know, I played maybe eight hours of the game, um has been absolutely fantastic.
1: That's heartening. Yeah, I, no, it, it the, really the, is. Like, the concept is always the one that you hear that, you know, when they make these open-world RPGs, they're like, oh, we're going to make it have awesome combat a la God of War, and, you know, but it's going to have the openness of Oblivion, and it's going to have awesome quests, and... But it's nice to hear that they may have actually delivered on that, or are yeah. in the process.
3: Yeah, no, the, the combat is incredibly impressive. Like, it's it's very clear that the the people who are developing this game love this game, and that... It's clear from on high that that Kurt Schilling is like cuz uh for anyone who's ever met Kurt Schilling at like an EverQuest event or anything like that Kurt Schilling loves video games. Like that is his thing. Uh he's a hardcore EverQuest player. That was what I met him at a, at a uh, SOE fanfare years ago. He was there to check out the new EverQuest expansion and he he is just a hardcore gamer, just as hardcore as you or I or anyone who's listening to this podcast. And he, you know, he was a baseball player. He has money. And so he's like, I want an awesome game. Make me an awesome game.
0: For before we keep going on, I, I realize now what my mistake was. I Googled it. Uh, there was an iPhone game called Kingdoms of Aden, and I abs- I accidentally thought that that was Amalore. So I apologize. Kurt Schilling, please do not come and beat me up. I apologize for that.
1: Kurt Schilling only beats people up if they're playing on the opposite team.
0: Oh, snap. Oh, snap. No, I, I, I apologize. I should have been up on my stuff a little bit more on that. So to the listeners, I'm sorry. So, John, okay. please continue.
3: <laughs> so, um, pretty much I, having, having been to a couple of studios before for hands-on events they're they're very, very, very controlled. Most of the time. Um, first one I ever went to was Lord of the Rings, the third age back in 2005. And they were pretty much like, here are demo areas of this game. And we went through, Let's we see. played the little demo areas and that was it. Um, and actually we spent most of our time at the studio talking to developers or, or doing other things that weren't playing the game. Um, not so dissimilar experience with Mass Effect 2. A little bit more open, though. Got to play Mass Effect 2. They were like, we're not going to let you play the very first intro sequence because it's a spoiler. We're just going to let, you know, they they started uh, for, they started us essentially after the spoiler for Mass Effect 2, after Shepard dies and is resurrected. So you start on the station where he's resurrected. And it, it was pretty much, we got, you know, three or four hours of demo time. Um, I got to big, huge games in Baltimore and they had like a 15 minute introduction. They were like, "Okay, you get to play the game and started from the beginning, played for eight hours straight, stopped for lunch. That was it. Wow. So they they are so, you know, confident in their game that they were just like, "Okay, you know what? This game's not done yet. It's not out for another six months. But here you go.
1: But regardless, hit it. So it's due out like right at the
0: right at the end of spring.
1: Like, is that what we're uh, looking it's at? Due out, it's due out in February.
0: Oh wow! Uh, oh yeah, because you did go a while back. Okay, cool. Now, um... Oh,
1: great, right before Mass Effect.
0: <sighs> oh, ooh. oh well, I mean, I, are you making your own character in this game? I think
3: yeah. So, so there are two ra- or four, there are four races: two human races and two elf races. Wait, how does that work? What do you mean? How does that work? So two human races. Yeah, so it's it like if you've ever played a game like EverQuest where there are there's, you know, it's
0: like erudites. Oh, race, OK. Like, so it's like the thing in Oblivion where it's like you have the Nords, which just have big yeah. noses and they get certain pluses to cold. Yeah, okay. exactly. Okay. So,
3: the, so like the, I forget what the two human races are. I actually don't have my paperwork in front of me that has all the, the race names and everything on it. Um, And then you have the two elf races. One knows dark elves. One is, you know, high elves or whatever they're they're. Nice. Called. elves. They, yeah, they have they have fantasy names here. So I um, and you are dead you start the game and you're dead. Huh? Sounds like, that sounds, sounds like better. Dark Souls. Yeah, it sounds a little familiar right now. <laughs> but and then you are resurrected by this thing called the Well of Souls. And it's essentially the humans and, and well, actually, it's the gnomes who created this have have found a way to create immortality. And you were the first person to come back. And in the world of Amalur, everyone is bound to fate. Everything that happens is fated to happen, and nothing breaks away from that, except for you, because since you died and you came back, you're not bound to fate.
1: What a cool concept. I thought that was awesome from the first time they announced that. It's just, it's a nice way to have the story explain why you're suddenly able to, you know, be anything you want. Yeah,
0: instead of being like, you're the chosen one. Why? Because you're the chosen one. Chosen! go, Go do something.
3: So you start off dead, and you start off surrounded by gnomes. Actually, when you wake up, you're like, "There are gnomes here." Not really, but um, and essentially you escape and you go find a fate weaver, and he says, um, "Yeah, I can't figure out anything about you. I can't tell you your future because you don't exist."
0: Marty, we gotta get you
3: back to the future. <laughs> and you where? Know. Back to the future.
0: <laughs> sorry zach won't know what we're talking about please continue <laughs> i don't know what we're talking about <laughs> <laughs> didn't i see that greg just turned 20 d- just on a sidebar you did
3: of, we got some young people on this website
4: <laughs> i know i'm starting to feel old
0: hey, I
3: know. rob when i started at rpg fan i was 17
4: she's wow. only 17 you broke the rules you're supposed to be 18
3: well i turned 18 a month later so oh,
4: okay i that guess was that's all good. okay <laughs>
0: Yes. John doesn't know rules. He just breaks them.
5: <laughs>
3: <laughs> so um, one of the first things that, that you find interesting is that this, this game has a very unique art style. You know, you see games like Dragon Age 2 that have this very kind of high fantasy Dungeons and Dragons-esque art style. Um, Amalur is really kind of more cartoony. Um, it, it's clear that they didn't want to stick to any tropes. Like, it's not like, okay, we want this kind of thing or that kind of thing. They, they wanted to go out and they wanted to make their own art style. Um, and it's really obvious later in the game, um, and actually one of the things that, uh, that Todd McFarlane said is, you know what, you have to start basic. If you can make a human that looks different or unique, or you can make a house that looks different or unique, you can make everything in your world look different and unique. And one of the things I noticed most is the bears in the game. Bears. They don't look like bears, but again, they look like bears.
1: (laughs) So it's just like Battlestar Galactica.
0: Well, I I think that's important, though, because, you know, I'll be honest, and maybe this is just me prejudging the game a little bit. When I hear Todd McFarlane and his name attached to something, I immediately start thinking of an art style that's very much like the old Todd McFarlane games. I think about like the Metal Gear action figures that he that he developed I thought maybe I would go a podcast without mentioning Metal Gear. God damn it. <laughs> so, um, Never going to happen.
4: I know. Um,
0: but when Metal you think, Gear. Yeah, Metal Gear. When you think about uh, Todd McFarlane, though, you get this real idea of the look of the game. And then I was watching the trailers for this, and I was like, if you had told – you could have told me that this was made by anybody. I, the last person that I would have thought in terms of art style would have been Todd McFarlane, and I think that's kind of cool.
3: Yeah, No, it's – honestly, it's uh... – it's it's quite good, and everything in the game looks very unique, and the game itself is very pretty. Like, um, big huge games has never made a 3D game before. Um, technically, Catan for Xbox Live Arcade was 3D, but you know nice. their their last game exactly. previous to this was Rise of Legends, which was 2D. And it's really great to see that that this studio is is making these fantastic things.
4: Yeah, Uh, I just want to comment on the environments and stuff, because I feel like it's something that's really important. And lately, um, I know when I play a game where the environments are different than anything I've seen, or just the character design, you know, it pulls me in more because I'm so sick of everything being like the same or so dark or like repetitiveness and everything. And to hear that they've just decided to, you know, completely make every little aspect about it different than what you've seen before. Like that's, you know, that's got my interest right away. I saw it at E3 and just how bright and colorful it was compared to like all these other games that are using the dark textures and everything. It just, it feels like it's going to be such a different experience because of that. The Mm -hmm. game is not brown or
2: gray. Yeah, that's one of the things that's really impressing me. I'm looking at the uh, the screenshots right now, and everything is, is somehow so clean, yet also has its, its own unique style and kind of interesting texture work, and, and there's so much color. Even in, like, I'm, I'm looking at this picture of, it looks like an assassin stabbing some guy in the back right now, and it's in this, you know, what would normally be kind of a nondescript room, but you see, like, the little, like, etchings on, on the wall and the, the iron grates, And these little, like, yellow leaves kind of hanging off these trees, and it's just so interesting.
0: It kind of reminds me of, like, um, when I first started playing Dragon Age Origins, it kind of has a little bit of an exaggerated, cartoony feel. Like, not huge. And then with Dragon Age 2, they kind of went in the exact opposite direction. They made it look more realistic with, like, a slight slight shading on the edge of the cells to make them look – to give it a slight – cell shading, but nothing major. But now Amalore just looks like it's going completely balls out with that and really making it pop out of the screen. And I, it does a lot to help distinguish the game. I mean, everything right now looks like a deep, dark, brown shooter. And to have something that pops out of the screen, I think, is really cool. It's a different way of going about art style. And again, you wouldn't have expected it from Todd McFarlane.
3: <laughs> it's, it's quite amazing. So once you're done, you create your character. So I had Dorf Dwarf is a human with a mohawk and mutton chops.
0: Dusseldorf. What is with you and mutton chops, yeah. dude? Does, okay, th- no, 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 does was, he kid... have mutton chops?
4: <laughs> no, thankfully. <laughs> but no, he will name every character he makes Dwarf. I don't know. Dwarf, what is Dwayne. your obsession with this I, yeah, dwarf, name?
3: But my my goal. Dwayne,
4: oh, Dwarf Dwayne. Sorry. It, it always begins with a D. What's up with that, John?
3: There, There's nothing. I like to it, both of those are kind of awkward names. My goal, whenever I play an <laughs> RPG where I can create a character, is to make the goofiest character I can.
4: Yeah, and it's in contrast to me, where I try to make my characters all pretty, and, like, I'll spend all this time making my character, like, look decent, and he—I'm running around with him, and it's like,
3: uh. Well, you know, like, I, I had a chance to play a little tiny bit of White Knight Chronicles too. And oh, my goodness. character. Oh,
4: that character is <laughs> ugly. <laughs>
3: my character is four foot nine, one hundred and seventy pounds.
1: One of his eyes is halfway closed, and
4: <laughs> the face was like deformed. It was like slanted or something like it.
1: Yeah, John, no. you... You must have had a field day with the Oblivion character creator, oh God <laughs> like, <laughs> well i didn't I, I tried to make my character
3: look the best that I could there, and it turned out really goofy yeah you you have so many sliders
0: for Dark Souls to make your character look like something that I just remembered wait a minute in Demon Souls, I was always wearing a helmet. I don't give a crap what my character looks like
1: My guy you know? has whatever generic face one is of yeah course, when you're when you're dead you look like a zombie anyway, so I've you know.
3: So that that was actually one of the things that was slightly disappointing about Reckoning is that Reckoning, um, it's not like, okay, 1 to 100 slider to side sl- of your eye. It was like, okay, you've got, you know, like 20 faces to choose from and you can modify a little bit, but it's not super heavy customization like you can see in Dark Souls or in White Knight Chronicles. Um, but it's not bad. Like, chances are you're going to find a character that you like the way that you make him. Um, only downside is... Dorf, despite having a mohawk and mutton chops, not the goofiest looking guy in the world. I liked Dwayne Hawk from
1: Dragon Age 2 better. That guy was ugly. That guy was ugly. That was one uggo dude.
4: (laughs) But he was getting loving in the romance department. Uh, Who'd you romance again, John?
0: Everyone. That's right. (laughs) John, you're such a slut.
3: (laughs) I'm sorry, Dwayne was such a slut. So once you're done creating your character, you start out. Now, one thing that's, that's worth noting, when you create your character, it's not like when you create your character in Sky or in Elder Scrolls or any other games where it's like, okay, I want this class or I want these stats. You don't have a class at the beginning. Um, remember, you're dead. You're not tied to fate. Um, every time you level up, you get new skill points, and you can put those skill points wherever you want. There are three class trees, one, like, one that's like a rogue, one that's like a mage, one that's like a warrior. Um, and it's really tough to gimp your character. Um, if you want to be like a mage that uses daggers, you can put a bunch of stuff into mage and a little bit into rogue. And that's, that's viable because you'll, you'll unlock a destiny that improves your stats in those two things. If you want to even out across the board, you can do that. You'll unlock a destiny that gives you stats across the board. If you want to be nothing but a warrior, that's cool too. There's a destiny for that. And it works out really well. So no matter how you want to build your character, you can do that. So in my demo, I had a guy who was a little tiny bit of Meiji because I wanted one specific ability. Very heavy warrior and medium rogue. And it worked well. I used fay blades and daggers, and I just beat the crap out of everyone. But if I wanted to be more subtle, if I wanted to be sneaky... I could be straight-up rogue. There are stealth kills in the game. You can sneak if you want. Or you, you, you can play this game however you want. And the great thing about it is it all works well. Stealth doesn't seem, you know... You you look at some RPGs that have tried to include stealth. And I'm not including Deus Ex here, because Deus Ex did stealth really well. But um, you look at, like, Alpha Protocol. Alpha Protocol doesn't have very good stealth. Mm-hmm. Reckoning Stealth... Not quite as good as uh, as Deus Ex is because Deus Ex, that is the core element, is stealth. But still significantly better than Alpha Protocol, which was also supposed to have a core element of stealth. Mm-hmm. It does everything it does well, and combat is immensely fun. Well, they
0: they said that they were going for like a God of War style combat system, right? I mean, it's very flashy. It's very like you're surrounded yeah. by enemies. You're controlling a pretty strong character.
3: So uh, sometimes you're surrounded by enemies, sometimes you're not. Um, but you have a choice of like 10 or 12 different weapon sets, um, maybe a little bit less than that, I don't recall. But each of the weapons acts differently. You have big two-handed weapons like hammers and great swords that act differently than one-handed weapons that you can carry with a shield, that act differently than fay blades and daggers, that act differently from staffs or wands, that act differently from chakrams.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: And, you know, you'll find a weapon that fits your, uh, fits your skill tree and fits how you want to play. That's the big thing that they they stressed is that it doesn't matter what we think the best skill tree is. It matters how you want to play. And no matter how you want to play, there's a way to build your character that, you know, is best for your playstyle. And so you get into combat with my I actually started off with two handed weapons because that's what I had early on. I found a good two handed sword and I went with it. And so I built around warrior skills and I, you know, was like literally an hour into the game. I was raising these giant spikes out of the earth and just had incredibly flashy moves. I was using my uh, my fate shift kills and just completely ripping things apart The game has incredibly smooth, fun combat.
1: Is it difficult? Like, like, I like the sound of that, but um, does it seem like the difficulty is balanced, though? Because, I mean, in God of War, you were pretty, you know, insanely over the top, but enemies could actually kill you. So, like, The one thing I worry about in this game is, are you going to get to the point where you basically just never die, you know, 10 minutes in? No.
3: No. Oh, God, no. So, um, one thing, one thing that they stressed was that this was a beta version of the game. They, they are just, they're not even beta yet. They're post alpha. So difficulty is not yet set. Um, they want to make the, I played on normal for about half of it, played on hard for about half of it. They want to make normal harder and harder easier because I got into a fight with two, uh, ogres. In hard and literally all I was doing was dodge, 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 dodge parry, parry, dodge, 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 dodge. And then a wolf came in and I couldn't take three enemies at once. I just died. Mm-hmm. Normal was a little bit too easy, but again, this was the
2: early it's version the of the game.
3: One. It's not done. And that was one thing that actually I think they were using some of us journalists as as kind of guinea pigs to see the difficulty of the game. You know, what do we have right? What can we change?
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Everything feels smooth, and I think once that gets balanced out, because what, what it really seemed like was, no matter what, on any difficulty, if you're fighting one or two enemies, you're going to win. But if you're fighting, I don't know, four, and you get to five, you lose. So I think they've got to balance out kind of encounters, and what what can win when you're fighting a group of enemies. It's not like dark souls where, you know, you get hit by three enemies at once and you have to run away.
4: Did Which they also did it? fix it? So there's like no wrong way to build your character. Yeah. I know some games early on, if you don't build a character in the right way, it can make the game extremely difficult. I'm just curious. So, Cause you're playing it basically on your own play style. So,
3: yes. So actually even at any point in the game, you can go to a, uh, Uh, Fate Weaver, and you can say, I want to start over. And they'll refund you all your skill points. It costs a relatively small amount. I assume that it works. I I only respec once, but I assume that it works like World of Warcraft, where every time you respec, it gets a little bit more expensive. Mm
4: -hmm.
3: But no, if if you find what you put your points into doesn't work for you, you can totally respec. But there was never any point where I was like, wow, that skill sucks. I don't know why anyone would put points into that.
4: See that's good.
1: Um, so I actually have a couple of questions. Um, is there blocking and do- like, uh, or is it just like a dodge move?
3: No, there is blocking, and actually the block system has a parry system built into it. So if you block at the right time, you parry and counter attack.
1: Okay, cool. And then when you say skills, I had two questions. One was, I guess they're kind of similar. How does the magic system work?
3: So and then every, if you're every, a melee
1: every... character, do you get like special melee moves?
3: Yes. So every character has magic. Um, this game doesn't have classes. Um, mm-hmm. So your magic as a mage, you, you can wield a wand no matter what you are. Okay. You it doesn't you you can do whatever you want. If you want to have a guy who wields a great sword and a wand, you can do that. The skills work pretty similarly in the skill trees everywhere. There are skills that for each class that any of them could be magic. The warrior's first spell, and I'm doing air quotes even though you can't see me, is raising giant spikes from the ground. That could easily be done by a mage, but the way that it's set up is that's a spell for the warrior classes.
1: Okay.
3: So the mages get spells. There's 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 spells and skills, but spells and skills are really kind of interspersed. It's not it's not like, you know, you have Dragon Age where, okay, I'm a warrior, Warriors get this class of skills. They use a different type of, you know, mana. There's, it's all built in. So if you want to go directly from casting spells to using warrior skills or whatever, it's all built together.
1: Okay. Sounds cool to me. I
3: uh,
1: um, when you get when you get spells, are they mapped to like the the buttons on the pad or like? Uh... Uh, it's. I think it's. I think.
3: One of them is is you can map one of them directly to a face <clears> button, and then the rest are hold RT or LT. Uh, I don't remember which, and then it's all the face buttons that are different spells.
1: Okay.
3: So not not so sort dissimilar of from Dragon Age two, and it works well. There was never a point where I was like, oh, I didn't I, you know I didn't want to use that, and I used this or whatever.
0: Well, definitely sounds like you're interested in the title.
3: I, I am incredibly impressed. You know, I, I was somewhat interested. You know, I really like big, huge games for their strategy stuff. And honestly, that was where most of my my want for the game came from, not because of uh, Ari Salvatore or uh, Todd McFarlane or Ken Rolston or Kirk Schilling or anything like that. It was because, oh, I really like big, huge games. I appreciate that they saved one of my favorite strategy developers from falling to the wayside. And at E3 is... I really kind of had my interest piqued. It was like, huh, this looks really good. And when I had a chance to go to Baltimore and actually get my hands on it, it's, it's a game that I want to do incredibly well because it is a top quality game. And it's a game that will appeal to anyone and everyone. If you don't want to play around with the parry system, you don't want to play around with the dodge system, you can build a character that's not focused on that, and you can play kind of more of the RPG stuff. The dialogue is is set up in such where if you want to know everything about this world, you can go around, talk to everyone. If you don't, you can just go directly to the top dialogue option and you go and you're done with that character. Cool.
0: Cool. Well, so the game comes out. Oh, Steelers just scored again. Okay. Uh, so the game comes out in February. February.
3: I don't remember the exact day, but it's in February. Cool. All right. Well, we're definitely going to check it out. And, you know, I'm excited for it. I definitely want a good RPG. Uh, do we well, think- I want to add one thing real quick. Yeah, sure. And actually read my article about this. The, the one thing that struck me immediately, and it made the developers laugh because they were watching me as I did this. When I got <laughs> to the first village in the game, I killed a chicken and it made a really funny noise. And I was like, huh. And so I go, and killed another chicken and it made a different noise. And so I go around and I murder every single chicken in this first starting hub village, and every single chicken makes a different sound when I kill it. And I go, if they have paid this much attention to chicken death sounds, they've done a good job. And people say I'm the sadist.
0: (laughs) Sigh. Um... So now, at the release date of February, do we think that that could be dangerous with Mass Effect 3? Or do you think that this game is going to stand up enough on its own?
3: I think that it can stand on its own. There's always danger when, you know, games go up against each other that are in similar genres. But I I hope and and that this game does well because it deserves to do well.
4: And I think it helps that it's almost, I think, a full month before... Mass Effect 3 comes out.
3: Yeah,
0: yeah.
4: So, I mean, people have time to play Amalur and then go on to Mass Effect 3. Sure,
1: sure, sure. All
0: yeah, right. I don't
4: have time
1: for, you know, you know, eating, but I
0: suppose, yeah. <laughs> we won't have time for fun, but whatever. <laughs> All right, so uh, what is the next thing that we have to talk about here? We
3: have uh, Persona? Shin Megami Tensei Persona.
0: A
5: face out, a
0: Oh boy. What? I like person. This is a JRPG I like, guys. I like well, it.
3: Kimberly and I both played uh Innocent yeah, Sin. No the recent uh
4: <laughs> Yes we did.
3: Um and it's 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 a very interesting game because you're looking at a full price re-release of a game that was originally released in Japan twelve years ago.
5: Mm-hmm.
3: And you know what? I actually really enjoyed significant parts of innocent sin
5: yeah same story
3: i like the characters i like the demon negotiation in the game i think the demon
5: negotiation Yeah, i've
3: never liked
0: that
1: you know it's like do you like red
0: bond (laughs) bonds i like red bonds.
4: well yeah that always make
1: such a big deal over how it's a feature i just feel like it's this annoying guesswork you have to do before you can get somebody to join that's
4: how i feel too steven exactly in innocent sin the problem is is that it takes such a long time to demon negotiate that, and none of the tactics, you know, it's, it's like every game. What you use for one monster might not work again, because the questions, the answers always change, even though you're going to get the same questions. And... Yeah,
1: like, there's no, like, skill involved, and there's yeah, nothing, like, exactly. in a game that says, like, oh, well, these demons, like, later on in... Um... You know, in later games, it was like, yeah, this guy likes that or something like that. See,
3: I, I, I disagree. I think Innocent Sin was the, one of the first that really says, because it gives you the class of the demons. Like, okay, this demon, you know, the first, the very first time you talk to that demon, you don't know. But it's like, this demon is angry, and this demon is, you know, pl- angry, and whatever. It gives you up to three traits. And the thing that I found most interesting about, about Innocent Sins is that, you can combine characters it's like okay i want these two characters to talk to that demon and because of that i found that there, i found that there was a little bit more strategy to it than it was in you know you look at uh, the more simplistic versions in like strange journey or should Megami my three mm-hmm. and it's really it really is do you like bonbons yes i like bonbons yay let's have a party
1: give
4: me an elixir i hate you <laughs> Well, but also there's like random. They'll start asking you questions, and the answers the answers always change up. So, what is your? Like, ah, yeah, the it's, and are then, just then like, you bah, get attacked. The problem dot, dot. is, if you screw up, you get attacked, and the attacks are kind of brutal. But Innocent Sin is actually pretty easy compared to a lot of Shin Megami Tensei. Yeah.
0: So there is actual demon negotiation in Innocent Sin.
4: Yes, it's okay. a big part. The problem where it wears out its welcome is because you have this high random encounter rate. That's really – and I know people have been angry that it gets brought up, but I think when you're putting something back on the market for full retail and your encounter rate is so high that it almost – Like, for me, it made the game not as fun. I was really digging on the story and characters. I thought that. I played it, and I was like, oh, my gosh. Why was writing, like, so many years ago so good in this game? Like, I couldn't believe how the dialogue was just on, the story, just the characters, everything. Well, they they did also
1: retranslate it, though.
4: Yeah, but 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 the core content was still... The content, I'm saying like the whole ideas around everything, like it just worked really well with the package okay. compared to most of the, J- the RPGs we're getting now, like it's better than a lot of them in that respect. Then you get these high random encounter rates and the battle system is just sluggish like if you're negotiating it takes a while like each battle takes a while you're going around dungeons that are very maze like and have dead ends Uh and you're backtracking a lot there's one dungeon and it's the (laughs) air shelter that everybody brings up because the point of it is that you go around in circles uh like three or four times i can't remember what but before the game goes, oh, haha! Ha, it was a dead. Like, that's not the way out. But it's forcing you to grind and grind and grind, and you're st- you're going only like you get out of a battle, and then almost immediately you're in the next, and like you can't figure out where you're going because you're getting distracted by these long battles. It's very frustrating if you don't have the patience for it.
3: And it's not like Nocturne or Strange Journey in that you want to go and fight because you need to level up. It's honestly not that the game is difficult. You're forced to grind because you need to negotiate, not necessarily because you need to fight, because you need these demon cards to create your new persona.
4: So, I would, I mean, I'm happy we finally got to experience Innocent Sin. Um, I it- just feel like it would
1: have been better if it was a little more timely.
4: I feel like Atlas should have with and I know this might be a lot to ask but rebalanced it a tad bit where the random encounters weren't so wow like it was it's overwhelming like I know people will argue well that's an old school RPG but you know what I've played older games and the battles are quick so it doesn't bother me if they're as frequent as yeah. this star 4 like, you're sitting there in battle, like the majority of the game. And for me, I was really digging on the characters and the story. So I was like, I don't want to even be in battle. I want to see what happens next. You know, you get very anxious like that. Like, come on, I just want to get the story moving. I want to see what's going on. I'm curious what happens next. So
3: one thing I really did like about the battle system, which unfortunately was scrapped from later versions of Persona, is the auto battle system. Instead of, instead of like Persona 3 and 4, where it's just like, okay, if you hit auto battle, you do physical attacks until the battle's over. Um, Auto battle actually remembers all the last commands that you entered and just continues on a cycle. That made grinding easier because I could set one character to cast a group heal every turn. Yep. And literally just hit auto battle and then go play something else or read or go to the bathroom or whatever. (laughs) But I shouldn't have to do that.
1: I was like, say, that's, it's good that they have that, but it sucks that you have to do that.
3: Yeah, that, that's the big thing is, well, if I need to grind because I'm dying in one hit, it, it, it's the thing that frustrates me is that it's not that the game is difficult. There are lots of Shin Megami Tensei games that are difficult and are great because they require you to use strategy to win there was never really any point where I was like, oh man, I need to use this hardcore strategy against this boss or even against this random encounter. It was, well, my attacks aren't doing enough damage. It was like playing Fantasy Star 2 where you had to fight over and over and over because the enemies would kill you if you didn't. It wasn't, oh, if I make a bad decision, I'll die. It was, I'll die if I'm not leveled up enough. And that on top of the random encounter rate was kind of frustrating. The game wasn't difficult; it was just tedious. Not making me happy, John. Well, I, you know,
0: but you're
5: being
3: honest. You're being honest. I'm being honest, and there, and you know what, I am ragging hardcore on these elements of the game, but I like the experience. It's a slightly above average game if yeah, it was released today. You know, I've played lots of. RPGs that I don't like on the DS and the PSP, you know. I look at stuff like uh, Glory of Heracles or, you know, I really didn't like Infinite Space. I know that a lot of people did. I would rather play Persona 2 Innocence than that because it's got the characters. It's got elements of the battle system that I like. And you know what? It's very clear that it was very ahead of its time when it was released.
4: Exactly. Like, when I played it, I couldn't believe that this came out, you know, was it 12 years ago? Yeah. Now we're at, Yeah, like, it just, it, it felt... Like, a, such a fresh concept in the sense of it all, and it way ahead of its time, but then you take steps backwards with the battle system. Yeah. I mean, if you're a diehard Persona fan, you know you have to play it. Like, even if I went in—even if everybody told me going into it, you know, because I reviewed it early, but even going through it all, someone told me, oh, the, the random encounter rate is high, I still would have bought the game because— I love the persona series and I would, it's something I would want to experience Um, playing it though. The actual experience was great for the story and characters, but when you get down to it, it was just real. Like you have to be patient if you're not. And I will tell everybody right away that I lack patience because when I'm really digging on something, like I said, I want to keep moving along the story and I like good pacing when pacing, you know, is awful or gets not that the story was badly paced, but when everything just gets stalled because of that, because you're spending so much time in battle and the dungeons themselves aren't very fascinating to begin with, because you have to remember it's 12 years ago. Yeah, you know, it's
0: an old game.
4: It's an old game. So, I mean, you have to, pre- I think you have to prepare yourself for that experience going into it. And I think if you play it, like, remember, me and John, when we played it, we were reviewing it, so we had to play quickly through it, right? If I had that game, if I'd played it and had time to take breaks in between where I didn't feel like I had to constantly be in battle, I don't think it would have had such a wear and tear on me, which I took into account when I was, you know, writing the review and stuff. I think it's one of those games you have to play almost in spurts. I couldn't see myself staying logged into it for, like... Five hours at a time. No way, no how. I after about an hour, two hours, the battles would wear on me and I could I had to take a break from it. So, so do we think
0: do we think that maybe if they released this as a budget title instead of a full priced game, we might have been a little kinder to it? You might have been able to look at it as a, well, you know, this is a game that wasn't released in America, we want to play it. But at the same time, we're taking into account that it is a twelve-year-old game.
3: One one of the things that I always consider is the price point of a title. You know, it's it's not often that an RPG gets released at a budget price point. Right. I mean, because you're getting it, a lot of content. Yeah, mm-hmm. but when it does, like, and you know, you get you get games like Torchlight. Torchlight would have been a great game at full price. (laughs) Uh, You know, I know that you don't like Torchlight, Rob,
2: but you know. I like Torchlight. Uh,
0: It's just, I I feel like it is very much a budget title. I would have had, if that game was 50, 60 bucks, I don't know.
1: I I have to agree with Rob. There's a lot of content in Torchlight, but it's not like super mega polished content. It's it's a good game. I mean, at 20 bucks, like that's. Yeah, it's an awesome arcade game. I would be very happy. But if I went out and spent 60 bucks on it, I would have expected more polish and, you know, a little less of the whole, you know, totally randomization thing.
3: Okay. Yeah, but that's. Well, but my, my point still stands that that at its price point, it's a spectacular game, and I think that that Innocent Sin would have been better released at a different price point. But there is a market out there for the people that love this kind of game. Uh, Neil was the one who reviewed the Persona One re-release for PSP for us. I have no doubt in my mind. Neil actually reviewed the the PS One import. And he gave it like a 94 or 96 or something like that. I have a feeling he'd give the exact same score to this re-release, but he gave a 90 to Persona One PSP. I would have given like a 55 to Persona One PSP because that's a game that is completely ruined by how archaic it is and how unmodified it was in its PSP release.
1: Yeah,
0: and then the the problem is that then you have the fans that the second that they start changing things, people will start getting upset. Yeah, Whenever exactly. Whenever they changed
1: the soundtrack in Persona One, I mean, they were like exploding with anger over that. And it's like, dude, the original soundtrack was
0: pretty average. But the the people that are interested in this niche title that is coming from you know two generations past. Well, but, but I
3: think there's a difference there. Like, I enjoy Japanese RPGs. I and... do. too. <laughs> <laughs> but. You know, there there are different levels of what you're willing to ignore. And I think maybe even if I were playing this when I was still in college, if I were playing this game four years ago, because I had the extra time and because I had the extra, you know, I, I think I was better suited to play a game like this because I didn't feel like I was losing valuable time. Whereas when I play it now, I'm like, I don't want to do this battle. Why not give me an accelerated course of action? And it's not like Innocent Sin is a long game. Innocent Sin is actually fairly short, huh. so it's frustrating when, for a Japanese RPG, there's there's a a caveat. there, fairly short <laughs> in that it's a Japanese RPG, but you spend most of that time in battle, not doing fun stuff. Yeah. Speaking of length, and then I think this
0: might be a good cutoff point and we can move on to news. Speaking of length, remember how I said I think I'm almost done Dark Souls? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I started flipping through the official strategy guide, which, uh, by the way, just want to make note to the listeners that the official strategy guide says that if I buy this strategy guide, I will learn how to complete every side quest in Deus Ex Human Revolution, which I found kind of funny. <laughs> it's a little weird. Um, somebody wasn't editing correctly. But, uh, yeah. I'm nowhere near done this game. <laughs> I really? am nowhere near done this game.
1: Is that area you made it to just really big, or are there more after that?
0: There's a lot more after
1: that. <laughs> that is awesome.
4: I love, Starting uh, to feel overwhelmed now? I, I'll no admit, way. Dark
0: Souls is... It's an overwhelming game. I mean, this is a... Holy God. like Dark, it,
1: Dark Souls is not a, rela- a game you play to relax. No. It's a this, game you play when you want to have... An experience.
0: Yeah, it is not. It, there is no relaxation in my
1: apartment right now when I'm playing but Dark Souls. <laughs> I really, I take issue with people saying that means it's not fun because I have a blast playing Dark Souls. Oh, like, yeah. Well, doesn't it review? get your,
4: like, adrenaline pumping oh, and stuff yeah. when you're in battles? I'm, I'm like, starting, like, I love that about I've games. Never, you I know? haven't
1: had sweaty palms playing a
0: video game since I beat, like, Bowser in Mario Brothers 3.
1: Yeah, I mean, you're fighting some, you know, there have been certain fights that I've been in where I'm sitting there going, oh, my God, if I make one mistake, I'm going to die.
0: Yeah, and it's not fun when you make that mistake. And I just realized that although I thought it was an optional enemy, I'm going to have to go kill the ceaseless discharge.
2: Uh oh. I don't know. I think the the most interesting thing about that is it's not even the, the fights that make me kind of like on edge. Uh, I, I walked into uh, an area and the name came up, and it was Valley of the Drakes. And I was like, no, thank you. Turn around. You've seen enough.
1: You've seen two drinks after that point, and they're both basically like, "You touch me, I'm gonna kill you."
0: Yeah, I'm gonna mess mm. you up, boy. And, you guys and are the thing
3: have, is, you guys are gonna have a podcast all about this game. I know, I know.
4: So was, I... Like, John's <laughs> cutting you off. <laughs> Let's
0: talk about it. John. I want you to play it a little bit. I do. <laughs> just a little, just a little. He
4: played it a little.
0: I played like half an hour of it. Did you get out of the Undead Asylum? No.
1: Okay. <laughs> Oh, the game when i first played i honestly didn't enjoy it for the first like 45 minutes because
4: yeah, steven i ha- was surprised you don't when have you were any commenting re- on it
1: you don't have any resources you know you have a crappy sword you have no armor you have, you have nothing no clue where you have no, to go yeah, that's the thing is you have no bearings so you're like where the hell do i go everywhere is hostile yeah and the then you eventually like to well i'm just gonna go ahead and pl- and push on and you do and then it gets completely up, just amazing, yeah. awesome. You guys have to listen to the
0: to this week's uh, weekend confirmed, where Jeff Kanata talks about like his first experience with Dark Souls, and and everybody invariably goes to the graveyard right from the start of the game, and there's skeletons there, and you're thinking, oh, skeletons, they're like the easiest enemy in any game. Not
1: incorrect. these skeletons. These skeletons incorrect. are like, lol, we have a million yeah. health, and when you hit us, we just get back together.
3: Uh, no, I, you know what? Because I went to the, the graveyard first, and I beat like six or seven skeletons. It was just when the giant skeleton popped up that i couldn't do anything
1: <laughs> yeah and he's like oh you hit me never mind you're dead we'll talk See, about i went i went the other way first and that's why i think i was fortunate because you're very clearly not meant to go the other way
0: yeah it's it's an intense little game but uh I, just note to our readers to our listeners uh my review might be a long time coming because this game is freaking huge so i'm gonna keep plugging uh do we want to get to news
2: yes Yes, Zach, you can talk. We, we've heard like three words out yeah, of you. Oh, podcast. yeah. You know, it's, I'm, I'm still I'm still kind of getting back into the into the swing of the podcasting. You know, Zach, son, you No. Uh, okay. Anyway, so so yeah, no. starting. <laughs> <laughs> um. So I guess jumping off of the the Dark Souls kick, Demon Souls just turned uh, two years old. Yeah. A couple days ago, and so since Atlas is still still has the servers running, uh, which they also announced that they'll be. Maintaining until uh, at least sometime in mid to late 2012, so uh, still for 20 bucks a really good buy. Um, starting uh, a couple of days ago and going until October 17th, uh, so you've got like a good a good week or so uh, to get on this. the The world tendency in Demon Souls is going to be pure white, so that's going to make the game a bit easier. And then uh, getting to, after that, the end of October for their Halloween event, they're making sure it black. pure black. Yep. So, you know it's uh for those of you who are just picking up the game now, uh perhaps a good time to get into it before the game just completely destroys you
0: uh um, can, can I just make a comment about um Namco Bandai published Dark Souls, and uh, luckily they're making good on all of these content from the collector's edition. They ran into some problems. I know I ran into some problems because most of it is downloadable content, the soundtrack and map and this, that, and it was a code that only activated for 24 hours, and the website kind of crashed that first night. I don't think they were anticipating how many people bought the game. So luckily Namco Bandai kind of stepping forward and making good, but... At the same time, the art book that came with the game is kind of falling apart. Maybe I just got a really bad copy, but there is kind of an air of cheapness to the collector's edition, which makes me look at my deluxe edition of Demon's Souls and go, that's why I love you, Atlas. That's why I love you. You gave me a full strategy guide. Meanwhile, uh, Namco Bandai gives you like a 10-page strategy guide beginning session that's like, yeah, you should probably go buy the official strategy guide, which I did. Cause I just, I want to have all that content right there because there are so many secrets in this game that it, it, it's a mammoth. Oh my God.
1: I don't like strategy guides for that exact reason. Like that takes out half of the fun for me is finding those secrets. Yeah.
0: But some of these secrets you pretty much want to find. Like if you didn't know about the Drake sword, you're going to have a hard time at the beginning of that game.
1: So Honestly, I, I mean, I don't have it. I don't feel like the game requires. Steven, you, you play it. every game at maximum difficulty. It, it you were like the matter, hardest like,
0: gamer I've ever met. You were like game, Rain Man.
1: The game is. No, I don't. I just I don't think that a weapon of. I mean, is that necessary? Because I mean, there. Are, I mean, I used other weapons, and I didn't feel like the enemies were like, like, oh God, I'm never gonna kill these guys. Wait till you get ceaseless discharge, then we'll talk. <laughs> <laughs> oh
2: boy, that is the
0: name of the discharge. enemy. Thank you very much. Oh, but you know you that a different way around. You can't
5: fool us. Why am I talking to a robot? Yeah, Jen, you got robotic
2: there. <laughs> All right. Anyways, more news, more news. More news. Uh, so also uh, coming, I guess it was uh, a little while ago, is uh, the Final Fantasy IV and Chrono Trigger PSN releases uh, that were that we have been waiting for, everyone's been waiting for. Uh, and so those are out there. The, the PS... Version, or the PSX versions of the game. So they have the the anime cutscenes and the CG cutscenes. And, uh, and, and, and the load times. And the load times. In that same PSN update, I believe, they added a whole bunch of uh, PS2 classics, which was which was interesting. I don't know. But it was very unannounced uh, prior to that. But Odin Sphere and uh, Muramasa the Demon Blade. Or no, that's not right. Odin, Odin Sphere and Grim Grimoire. There we go. Um are jumped onto PSN and then uh with that uh XS2 announced that Grand Knight's History which is the the upcoming uh PSP kind of strategy RPG from Vanillaware who came out uh who developed both Odin Sphere and Grimvalor that's going to be coming to the US at some point in the future um so that is a is yeah you know, I love I love their art it's really um, that's that's I... Love
3: it. Oh, you, you just like the Dragon's Crown trailer.
2: Yeah, you know, it's, it's a thing. It's Dragon's um, Crown. You know, it's, it's, there's things in there that are nice. <laughs> um, but more news uh, The Elder Scrolls V Skyrim cast has been revealed. I've um, got, got some, some big names in here. Patrick Stewart? Uh, I don't no. think so. Not no. this time. My personal favorite is Michael Hogan, um, who was in Battlestar Galactica, and I think he uh, was in Mass Effect 2. Um, at some point, but yeah, so if you want to, if you want to check out the, the cast for Skyrim, take a look on the site, uh, and then just, you know, comment on the boards. Tell us what you think.
1: Can I, am, am I the only one who's
2: not that excited for Skyrim right now?
1: Yes. Yes. All right. Um, I was really excited for it. Um, A, and then I saw Amalur and B, mm. uh, what? Okay. Okay.
3: You, you you can be excited for both Skyrim and Anler. The fact of the matter is, they They're come out, out almost four points apart. <laughs>
5: yeah. So, yeah, yeah.
4: But
1: I I feel like that one of them is going to scratch the same itch. I just no, I don't know. I the, don't
3: the... I don't like Sky, Sky. I I think that Skyrim in in standard Bethesda style is going to be very very much more open than Reckoning. Sure. Now that's not that's not to say that Reckoning is not open. You go and it's quest hubs and it almost feels MMO-esque the way that quests are set up and the way that you that it sends you out into the world. But there there's little in reckoning where it's like, "Oh yeah, let's go and explore." Where I feel like when I play, you know, F- Fallout 3 or or Oblivion, there's a little bit more exploration of that. Now, to be fair, there are lots of similar elements between the games, but I don't think that they are you know, it, it's not like Sky Air. it's not like uh, Oblivion and Fallout Three scratching the same itch. I
0: I just think for okay. me, it's it's again the the problem that I've talked about before. It's the generic fantasy setting, and I watched that forty five minute demo from E three, like they finally released the full thing in HD, and I'm just watching it, and I'm like, yeah, it's Oblivion too okay, you know,
4: I'm going to enjoy this. I think it'd be a different experience if you actually were, like, sitting there playing it because I know when we were at E3, John was the one who went and saw Skyrim, and he walked out of that just like, oh, my God, this game's going to be awesome. Like, the the reaction from it was, he's like, this is the best game I've seen at the show. Like, I... It takes a little bit to impress John, so. That's true. He is the cynic. And it, I is, like that. it is different playing it than watching because I watch a lot of stuff too, and I'll see stuff and I'll be like, oh, it doesn't really look that good. And, and from shows like that, and but there's such a different experience playing it. So. And, and not plus,
3: the, plus my my version of the demo. Uh, well, no, 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 you said the E3 demo. I'm sorry, I'm thinking of the. Uh, the QuakeCon, because I was going to say, the version that I saw didn't have a whole bunch of people yelling and screaming. Kill, the, the, bunch of actions.
0: kill the deer. Kill the deer. But I, I think the other problem, and again, I don't want to compare it to Dark Souls, but that's kind of what everyone's comparing it to. Like, which game are you going to get? And it's like, okay, they're two they're radically different. They're completely. Yeah, exactly. Dip, it seems they're like radically a different. Bad comparison. But I think the problem is that hey, I love the Dark Souls combat so much. And that's my thing like See, that, I'm going to get Dark, Skyrim Dark Souls,
3: and enjoy it. Dark Souls the... is all combat though.
0: Right, exactly. You're not like you talk to certain people but it's not as big as like, hey, can you go talk to my cousin and then you're going to find out about like some, I don't know, cheating love affair and you have to decide who to decide with. Like that's what makes Skyrim important to me, but so far all they've really shown off is the combat.
2: And they showed up some of the character
0: interactions, but not enough to make me remember that, oh, that's what I love about these games are the character interactions.
1: See, I hated the character interactions in Oblivion because I just thought every story was just so... Just tedious and generic and the writing. But they're was writing bad. Uh, Okay, the Dark Brotherhood was awesome.
0: And their writing massively improved with Fallout Three. And so I'm excited to see from a writing perspective, but it's just every time they show the game, it's always the combat, the combat, the combat, the combat. And I'm like, I'm not playing this game for combat. You know, it it's kind of the same thing uh, I would say with like um Deus Ex where you know I'm not really interested in playing the game running around gunning people down I'm interact I'm interested in talking with people with sneaking around with doing this and that that's the part I really want to see a Skyrim and I'm sure it's there you know I know it's there
1: I've, I just I've, haven't seen it I feel like they're trying to market it to a different audience one it's still going to be you know very Bethesda-ish but I feel like they're trying to show the more casual Mainstream crowd, hey, check this game out! It's a fantasy action game.
0: Yeah, let's be honest. And if I mean, they could, if they could find a weapon with a scope, they'd show that to you in night vision in, yeah, in and, Skyrim. And
1: they flat out said they took out stats. All you have now are skills, and I don't know how that's going to play out because you know the stats were kind of pointless. But I, Not, I, mean, I am getting a very like we're trying to you know streamline the game, and I know every one of those you know in that series has been fairly different, but they've never significantly cut out a portion of the game. And I that's why I'm a little skeptical.
4: Well, not to go off track here, but I mean how much of a game there's been so much debate over this recently that trailers are starting to show too exactly. much of games and people when they get to play the game aren't taken by surprise by anything anymore like they've prepared for it whatever. I mean, you have the option not to watch it, but maybe it is a good thing that they haven't been releasing much other than the combat, because you kind of now don't know what you're walking into in That's terms of point. story. That's,
1: That's a good, a good point. point. No, it's definitely a good point. I, just, I mean, I I barely watch the videos they've released, because I don't want to know.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely—I shouldn't say I'm not excited for it. I guess I just— I don't care about the parts that they've showed us if that makes sense. I care about the deeper stuff, you know, they're talking about, you know, you can still turn into a vampire and that's that's the stuff. I'm a vampire. Like that's the stuff I want to see at a Skyrim, but at the same time that's very very hard to demo. It's very hard to demo, like, a full quest and make you interested. So they're going to show off the combat. They're going to show off what they consider to be the meat and potatoes. So don't want to talk too much more about it, but, you know, 11-11-11, it's coming. Hopefully I'll be done Dark Souls by then.
4: So soon. Woo.
0: Yeah. uh, Where's the
4: time going? I can't believe it's October. Ha. Oh, my God. And
0: and, The holidays,
4: everything. Oh, my gosh. And (laughs)
0: and Arkham City comes out in a week. Oh,
4: shit. That's actually what I was talking about when people are complaining about trailers showing too much. Yeah, they're not
0: showing anything for that game. Like, hardly anything. Like, they've showed one boss fight. Well, they had that big spoiler of a trailer
4: that caused all this. Oh, really? I missed it. I haven't
1: watched anything from that game other than it's got a big city now. And I love the first one. That's, that's about all I know about that
0: one I'm excited news. for it that's more news yep sorry to sorry yeah.
2: Uh so uh, one one thing that is reminding me that despite the amount of new releases coming out I really missed out on a solid summer season uh, for for games is the witcher 2 uh, 2.0 patch that came out uh, about a week ago now um, and so for anyone who hasn't played it yet uh, this is this is the version to, to download it has a new tutorial. New which arena. still isn't that great. I mean, did you try that out,
0: Rob? <laughs> I did, and I I still think the tutorial wasn't that great and I think the menu interface is actually worse now. <laughs> it's um like uh- I can't honestly. I can't. I started playing the game with a with a PlayStation 3 controller plugged into my PC, and admittedly, the game does respond better with a controller. It's a lot easier to control Geralt and fight, so the fighting is better. It does feel more responsive, but the menus with a controller. Oh my God! Like what? drunken fool figured this out it's like you press left to go to the actual inventory you scroll through the different categories there's 20 with the l and r buttons and then you press Mm. right on the d-pad to go back to your main equipment it's a mess it's like who does what is going on here like just to control it using a controller and then go to inventory and then having to use mouse and keyboard i don't know i don't know what that's all about like it makes the mass effect inventory system look downright serious and understandable it's weird it's really really nasty it's a horrible inventory but i at the same time Geralt controls a lot better with a controller so i don't
2: know True. so yeah so well they have the it's the new the new thing they also have a, a, a mode that steven might like a dark mode you know to go along Why with I that like that dark, dark souls it's a new difficulty mode kind know, of situated in <laughs> between yeah. I'm going to tell everyone, man. No, 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 uh, it's, uh, it's a new difficulty mode situated in between hard and insane. And so, or was it insane? One, whatever their highest difficulty Whatever was. the one where you couldn't well, save. Well, Steven
4: would go on the highest. He wouldn't even go Stephen on the, go on the <laughs> Yeah. Best. Well, but... actually,
2: I would
1: go with dark mode because the one above that is just as difficult, but you can't save, and that's just stupid. Oh, no, wait. It's, it's, oh, not that wow.
0: it's not that you can't save. It's that if you die, you die for good.
1: That's what it was, yeah. And yeah, the
0: game, like, it's like playing hardcore in Diablo. Yeah, if you die yeah. in the
1: game, you die for real, and no. Witcher is... 2 is not. Wait, wait, wait. If you die in the game, you die for real? Yeah, you die oh, for God, real. That's super hard. Oh, my
4: God. Wasn't that a movie? Wait, yes, it wasn't
1: was. that a movie? the survival game but it's
0: Witcher 2 is not the game that you want to be playing like that because if you like there are areas in that game that if you walk into an area without like proper equipment you're gonna die
2: and... At the same time, Rob, there's there's a bunch of they have a bunch of new equipment uh, to kind of go along with this more difficult mode and like quest a... lines that, uh-huh. that go along with the equipment. So it's it's a bunch of new content just for this mode. Yeah, and with yeah, and perhaps some with some of the uh, with some of the new like parrying and uh, kind of control stuff that they've worked out in the patch. Uh, hopefully, the you know it'll be a bit easier for. For someone, someone like Rob, maybe, maybe. Oh, wait a minute, wait a
0: minute, wait a minute. When I played the tutorial, it told me I needed to play this game on hard and I didn't die. After you level up the shield spell one time, you don't die in that game anymore. Again, Witcher 2 has an inverse learning curve. It starts off ridiculously hard and then you get like one or two skills and the game becomes a cakewalk.
2: But yeah, so so hopefully you know we'll see. I'm I'm interested to see if any of the uh, the the mods that people have made um, that in some of them which balance out the the difficulty curve that actually makes it a little bit harder as you go instead of uh, you know easier. But uh, if the mods will be compatible with this, but I suppose uh, we'll hear about that soon. Anyways, um, there here's an here's a game that is a is a game kind of uh, Final Fantasy 14 chocobos i suppose we touched on this earlier but um now now there are chocobos and now there are more areas and that game is still broken
4: that's going to fix everything chocobos fix everything
2: they do i, I mean chocobos i and airships, am a little and, I mean, bit odd I, I don't understand why they weren't there to begin with that's sort of that's the, i mean that's the thing is final fantasy 11 launched with chocobos and airships and we're what a year in
0: yeah, but to, remember to that. Remember Warcraft. how they announced Final Fantasy 14, and we're all like, "Oh, it's gonna come out in like three years. That's pretty cool." And then it was like, "No, nope, we're gonna beta test in six months." It's like, what? Yeah. You guys sure it's a about that? It's Do you a guys think game, they will I
4: ever just... rush an MMO ever again?
0: I don't think. I don't think Square Enix will make an MMO ever again. Yeah. yeah.
4: Make uh, right Dragon
2: Quest 10. Oh no. Good. No. Oh, yeah. oh, oh, yeah. oh, we'll see Awful how that idea, does. That's been in I'm development for a long time Awful idea. I.
0: I I don't know. I really hope, as much as I don't, you know, I'm not interested in 13-2, I really hope that Square Enix gets their act together a little bit and starts being the Square Enix that we know they can be, you know? And I shudder to think about what that will be in the year 2011-2012, but I just want them to get it together. Like, it's not funny anymore. You
1: can't just dump huge production values on everything. And expect it to be a good game. Yeah,
0: it, it's it was funny at first, you know. It was kind of funny to see like you know Final Fantasy 13 and you know all the debacle over the shoestring dungeons and this that. But now it, it's gotten a little sad. It's gotten a little sad, and I want to see the Square Enix that was making things like Brave Fencer Musashi or just like crazy games that you just never would have expected, but they were fun in their own little ways. Final you Fantasy know. Nine. Final, fa- Final Fantasy IX. I know a lot of people hate it, but we love it here. You know, I mean, the story goes to absolute hell, but what are you going to do? It's a Final Fantasy game. It wouldn't be a Final
1: Fantasy game if the story. Rob,
4: you know go. what's going to save them? Kingdom Hearts three.
1: Yes, going to save me. That's for sure. Uh, well, I, <laughs> we'll see. And that. I think I just broke Demon Souls. Oh yeah, I fell through the I, world at one point. Yeah, I got attacked by one of those tree monsters, and he grabbed me and started biting me. And I died, but now I'm stuck in a position where my shield is over yeah, my face. Quit the game.
0: Make sure you don't don't turn off the game. Quit, quit out. Like hit start, go to quit game, and then start it up again, and you'll die and you'll respawn. I had but that I, happen to me too. But I
1: can't because I can't hit start. Oh, Uh-oh. I can just move the camera around and watch. Make this sure guy it's not
0: saving. Me. Make sure the game's not saving and turn it off, and then come back, and you'll you'll die, and everything <laughs> will be okay.
2: But, Rob, if you, if you didn't have faith in the Final Fantasy series before, perhaps some pre-order bonuses might... might uh, what change is this the all? Or, well, uh, I guess, you know, following the, the Western trend of pre-order bonuses and DLC and whatnot, um, mm-hmm. Final Fantasy XIII 2 is going to have a whole bunch of uh, retailer-specific pre-order bonuses that, that you can get. So Amazon is going to have uh, the Omega boss battle, Which is which was just released uh, a little while ago in the game. You know when you bought it. Yeah, you know, Um, it was just just announced uh, for Japan as post-release DLC, Um, and uh, you know he's going to be you know he's going to be Omega. He's going to shoot some lasers at you, Uh, but then he's you know considering that they have the whole uh, monster um, party member system thing going on, uh, he's going to join your party after you beat him. Uh, Yeah, you know GameStop is going to have alternative alternative costumes, and then Best Buy is going to have uh, a Final Fantasy thirteen episode one novella, um, which is a hardcover book that will link thirteen uh, and 13 too. So, yeah. you know, in I, case I, you want to just read Why do three. all
1: Japanese RPG sequels feel the need to incorporate some stupid monster recruiting mechanic that I don't want to use because I want actual characters in my party?
3: Because God hates you.
1: Like, Tesla Symphonia 2 did that, and that game was cool because you could just not use monsters,
3: but... Wait, 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 wait! I totally disagree because you started with the words that game was cool. The game was cool. <laughs> well, I don't think we can be friends anymore. Silence. Um Hey
0: guys, can we like wrap up because uh, I'm taking control? There's so much news. Oh, I'm sorry, I, I, I'm sorry, but like the girlfriend and I are going kayaking and I want to leave in a few. Kayaking minutes. is for squares. We're
2: going to run for this realm, All right. So,
3: well, let, let's let's make this hardcore. It's we got like hard. three news stories left. Let's let's just
2: no. bust okay. it. Out. Fantasy Star Online 2 delayed until 2012. Shocker. Who Next, Nino Cooney PS3. Uh, so I mean, it was announced that it was coming out in America a little while ago, I think, but uh, now it's going to be known as Nino Cooney: Wrath of the White Witch. Does it come with a giant um, book? No, actually, it doesn't. Yeah, the, uh, the giant book is going to be digital only on on the PS3 version. Oh, at least that's um, something.
3: It'll
1: yeah, be you know. in the
2: game, I guess. We're
3: getting the game, Rob. Yeah, no, That's I'm, enough. I, I know,
0: I know. How did Atlas game, spoiled me, I'm sorry.
1: How did that game do in Japan? Because when I played it, I just couldn't help but feel it was an incredibly generic JRPG with really pretty graphics. I don't know. Like I've I heard really good
4: things did. about it, but, I mean.
1: I
3: know uh, I know Derek got the Japanese import of the DS version. Cool,
2: cool. I'll have to uh, check that out at some point. But yeah, and then uh, one of, one of the last for the day, Dead Island Gets a Movie based on the trailer. <laughs> hopefully. That trailer was really good. No, it is based on the trailer. They've actually yeah. said that. Really? Oh, okay, so <laughs> go figure. Uh, yeah, so, you know, it's, uh, we'll we'll see what happens then, but I, I can't uh, imagine that it'll be uh, coming out anytime soon. They yeah. haven't named the the producers, though, so Sean Daniel, uh, who produced uh, The Mummy and Dazed and Confused and Stefan Sonnenfield. So, you know, those are real people, unlike Ufe unlike Boll, so hopefully... Oh.
4: Because movies know. based off video games always turn out so well.
2: Don't you
0: know it? Mortal Kombat One is still perfectly watchable. It's classic. And Raúl Julia as M Bison was awesome. <laughs> of course.
1: Jean-Claude Rob, Van
0: Damme. Mother, you're alive. <laughs> Too bad you Must will die. die. Now, uh, my favorite line is, um, "See to you." That was the most meaningful day of your life. To me, it was Tuesday. <laughs> 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 i'm sorry Raul julia his last movie ever i miss him so much <laughs> all right so is that it that is it good all right so good. i think we're good uh coming up after the regular show we have an interview with uh mr fitch uh, about tides of destiny yes yes mm-hmm. yes
1: adam
3: okay. adam fitch from natsumi
0: all right, and we're uh, so definitely stick around and listen to that. Uh, obviously, next time we will have Dark Souls. I'm afraid to turn on my PlayStation 3 after reading through the strategy guide and seeing how much more I have to do. It's becoming,
4: kayak your frustrations
0: away. It it's becoming a job, guys. This game has gotten into my mind. It is it, it's Stockholm syndrome. It really is. This is Stockholm syndrome. The game. Okay, so I'm going to go play some more Dark Souls. Someone kill me.
1: I thought you were going kayaking.
0: Yeah, I'm going to go kayaking first. Uh, for John, for Steven, for Zach, and for Kim, uh, thank you very much for listening to the show. Make sure to subscribe to us on iTunes through the RSS feed. Uh, give us some feedback. I have started Shadow Hearts. I've gotten a few hours into it, and I'm really liking it so far. It's bizarre. It's zany, but I like it. And I found a copy of Covenant. So I have games awesome. in play. Covenant's in the so virus. good. Yep, I had to travel all the way to another EB in Pennsylvania to pick what one up. It? So I had to go on a I had to go on a spree to find it, but I got it. So, all right, we have stuff to talk about, and we will see you all next time for the Dark Souls podcast. Bye.
1: Bye. Was dark. Later. Welcome, everybody, to
0: another interview here at Random Encounter, the RPG Fan Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Steinman,
3: pale Robbie on the boards. Uh, joining me today, we have the podcast regular and man of many titles. Uh, this is John McCarroll, um, executive editor, and I am Keeper X on our forums. All right. And then we have, fresh from Natsume, uh, localization editor Adam Fitch. Uh,
5: hello. Wow. Uh, <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, Adam, what are you here to talk to us about today?
5: I'm here to talk to you about a fantastic new title we have, Rune Factory Oceans, for PlayStation 3 and Wii.
3: Oh, it, isn't it, uh, should, we, should we start, isn't it Tides of Destiny in the U.S.? Oh. Yeah, yeah. that's good <laughs> enough. Now, now we've just, you know, made our Japanese
0: cred perfect, <laughs> so we can just go with yeah, that. Yeah, Rune
5: Factory Tides of, Def- Tides of Destiny.
3: Okay, okay, cool. Uh, so, John, I will hand you the first question. Well, uh, first, let's have Adam give us an overview. Um, all of our, our Rune Factory and Harvest Moon uh, standbys here at RPG Fan couldn't be here for this podcast, so Kimberly and Derek are off to other things. So um, we'll leave this up to Adam. Can you give us a little bit of a background on uh, Rune Factory, both as a series and what's coming new in Tides of Destiny?
5: Sure. Well, the Rune Factory series is kind of like the... Harvest Moon series, except it's got more of an inv- adventure RPG type of feel, and so it's like Harvest Moon, maybe for the Japanese RPG set, okay. uh, which is, and it's it's got like, for example, in Harvest Moon you'll just be kind of a generic character, and this one in Rune Factory games you're always like a specific character with specific dialogue. You're not a silent protagonist. So it's uh, it's basically har- uh, Harvest Moon, um, adding a fantasy RPG, Japanese RPG element to it, and a cool little story to add to it. The other cool thing is um, it's got a consistent world. So uh if you play Room of Factory One, Two, Three, and the other uh, Room of Factory, uh, uh, Room of Factory uh, Frontier, uh, you're all you'll already be familiar with this world. It's not necessary to play all of the games, obviously, but it's cool for like fans who've played all of them because it's you're like, oh, I remember this character or this. Uh, part of the world, so it's it's a bit like Suikoden in, in that uh, way. Maybe not as detailed as, as a game like that, but it's it's got its own little world, which is really cool. Well, that, sounds, yeah. that sounds great. Yeah. I, why don't you give us a... We, we know
3: that uh, we have, have two main characters sharing a body in this first Rune Factory. Can you tell us a little
5: bit about Aiden and Sonia? Sure. So, Aiden uh yeah, so they're childhood friends, uh, and uh, Aiden's got a bit of a kind of a brash streak in him, and he's a little more insular. He's he's always acting like he doesn't really care about what happens to other people, and Sonia's uh kind of the exact opposite. Uh, she's a lot more cheerful and carefree, and. Sonya kind of convinces, or rather kind of makes Aiden do things he wouldn't normally do. So it makes for an interesting combination between the two. The two, Aiden's, like I said, a much more cynical character, and Sonya is the outgoing one. So Sonya's like, let's do this. And he's like, well, all right, okay, I'll do this. So, so uh, how do they get themselves into the situation that they're in? And, and tell us a little bit about that. So, yes, uh, they end up being trapped, or Sonya's soul en- ends up being trapped inside Aiden's body. Uh, that actually is a plot point, so I don't want to spoil that, but um, they are s- they're uh, standing uh, in the middle of the island that they live on, and they notice something weird is going on, and the little pond that they live in and then all of a sudden uh sonya's soul is inside aiden's body and they're like what's going on and this being a japanese rpg they just kind of deal with it and it uh wacky hijinks ensue cool cool sounds fun uh, now I'm kind of a neophyte
0: to the uh, Rune Factory games, but uh, apparently, like marriage is a huge component of these games. And of course, yeah, and of course we have the to ask the hard questions here at RPG Fan, and uh, you know who do you think will be the hardest managed candidate to woo? You know,
5: um, it's, an, it's a, that's an interesting question. Um, in the past, we've had characters who were really hard to get married. For example, May in Rune Factory One. You had to give her uh, a Lover Snapper, which was like level 99 or something crazy like that. Um, In this one, they're all about the same. I might say Pandora, um, the evil arch sorceress, just because uh, she shows up later in the game. But there's no one that's super, super hard to marry. Okay. So, um, tell us a little bit about the,
3: uh, the combat in Rune Factory, and, and maybe for a lot of, I know a lot of our listeners are not completely familiar with it, I'd start from the ground up, what, what's the combat about, and what's new in this iteration for those who are, uh, familiar?
5: So, it's a third-person view, uh, type of combat, kind of like a Kingdom Hearts type of, uh, thing, and, um basically uh run around uh fighting things uh you can bring in uh monsters that you've tamed into battle with you for example like little wolves or little bullies or goblins so they can fight with you in battle and we've always had uh most weapons have been swords, two-handed swords, uh, hammers, spears, etc. Um, so that's that's what's been consistent through all the Rune Factory games. The differences in this game is there's two new weapon types: uh, the dual blades. The dual blades actually they appeared in Rune Factory Three, but this is the first time in uh, one of the console versions of the game. And they're actually really good for beginners because uh, they tend to uh, kill things a lot faster. And they're, they're a good beginner weapon uh, for people who aren't sure, maybe, um, uh, how to handle the more uh, the more finesse weapons. So I would recommend if you're just starting the game to pick the dual blades. And then katanas, which is, which is kind of exact, uh, the exact opposite to the blades. It takes kind of a while to get used to the katana and it's a more skill based weapon so uh, those are the two main differences. Um, Also the other difference in this game is the battles are a lot more fast paced than in Rune Factory uh, Frontier so it's uh, you'll be uh, finished fighting uh, a lot faster than you have been in the previous Rune Factory title
3: okay well we've heard from uh from kimberly and derek that uh there's going to be a crafting system in the game um so can you tell us a little bit about the crafting system how it'll affect your
5: success and the different types of items you can make sure absolutely uh crafting and cooking um have always been a big part of the uh factory series um from the very start, from the very first game, and basically mastering cooking and crafting, and uh, like uh, making weapons, making accessories. That's the kind of the key to getting the best items to use in the game. You can find items along the way um, in dungeons or when you get them from requests from people, but the best items you'll have to make yourself. And you get the ingredients to use those from the monsters you beat in the game, and then you go back home and uh, you have them. You have your, you, you can have your uh, own forge and crafting stations built in your in your house. So you just go home and uh, you learn the recipes from the different uh, villagers, and you get. Uh, the more and more you use them, the higher and higher you, uh, level recipes you'll learn. So it, it, it's really um, essential to be become really good at crafting and cooking. And also, when you're going into battle, the best stuff, the best uh, things to eat to recover your health and rune points are going to be the uh, the dishes you make at uh, at your, in your kitchen, not something that you buy necessarily from, uh, like, the pharmacy. So, okay. so yeah, crafting, cooking, and, and all those things are very essential to uh, getting the most out of the game. Excellent. Excellent.
0: So we've talked a lot on the podcast about uh, JRPGs and the state of the JRPG where we are right now. And uh, so the question becomes, what is Tides of Destiny... Bring to the rpg to the jrpg right now, like is it how does it push the genre forward? What kind of things does it do that'll maybe bring the fans back a little bit who are more focused on western style games
5: right now? I think there's definitely a Japanese feel to the characters and story um, um, I'll, even though it's been localized in English, the characters and story definitely have a kind of certain Japanese zaniness about them that's kind of quintessentially uh, you find in the Japanese RPGs. Uh, There's a very interesting character who's a priest in the game. I won't go into details, but he's you probably wouldn't find him in an American RPG. Mm -hmm. Uh, And there's uh, let me think of some some other things. Uh, basically, the whole kind of polish that you find in a Japanese RPG uh, that I love—it um, definitely feels like they spend a lot of time on the char- on the characters and story, and the whole island and the whole world. Basically, it, it seems like um, Japanese developers love to have attention to detail, even though, even if maybe one out of a hundred people will find um, that kind of detail. They seem to love to put in that kind of detail to the game. Like I said, uh, referring back to other games, there's a lot of references to other games and things like that. So um, I think also as far as the dating aspect goes, there's kind of the, I don't know if Moe is, is the right word. I don't really like that word, but there's definitely kind of a, a girl in the game or and a guy in the game, uh, for everybody. So if you like the glasses kind of girl, there's that. If you like, um, the kind of shy withdrawn type, there's that one. So All right, cool. That, that sounds kind of brings cool.
3: what's up. I don't know. Go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt.
5: Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah. So there's, uh, there's that aspect to it. So, um, Yeah, there's definitely a marriageable candidate for everybody
3: in this game. Excellent. Well, I think we just got one last question because we're coming up on time here. Um, What's your personal favorite feature in Tides of Destiny, and why are you excited for the fans to see that?
5: Uh, Personally, my favorite uh, feature is the giant golem you use, uh, Ymir. Uh, You were asking about uh, kind of how this game uh has uh to do with Japanese RPGs. And I think uh Ymir the the, the giant golem is kind of a perfect example. He's you could you get on him and control him kind of like a giant robot or, you know, giant uh, Godzilla type thing uh that you'd see in a Japanese type of game. You wouldn't really see it in a Western developed game and he's definitely um born from the giant robots and giant monsters, you'll find a lot in Japanese media. So, and you get to explore all over the world with him. And um, the other thing that uh, um, I'm excited about is this is a whole new part of the Rune Factory universe. This uh, the island that it takes place on, Fenneth Island. Um, they all take place in the same universe, but there's going to be a lot of references to other play, play, uh, places and characters um, that fans have encountered in previous Rune Factory games. And uh, maybe a few of those characters will be coming back in this game. So that's one another reason to check it out. That sounds great.
3: So Rune Factory uh, Tides of Destiny is for both Wii and PS3. And, yes. uh By the time you hear this, the game should be out. You should be able to get it in your hands (laughs) immediately. Yes. Awesome. Awesome. Adam, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast, man. really appreciate it. All right. All All right.
0: All right. Thank you very much, sir.